from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia, welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women. I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, and as you know, this is the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact. Today, I am joined in studio by Melissa Wheeler. She's the Chief People Officer for Lucky. I had the great pleasure of meeting Melissa last week when we both participated in the Women's Executive Day for the Mitsubishi Electric Classic Tournament, and Lucky was one of the presenting sponsors of this Women's Executive Day. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to spend some time with you today. Yes, and thank you so much for making some time to come on to the series. Um, for those who might not know what Lucky does, you guys have presence not only in Georgia, here in Duluth, as we sit, but also in Alabama. Correct. Share with our listeners um, a little bit about the scope of Lucky and your role within. So Lucky is a 70-year-old, we're celebrating 70 this year, 70-year-old marketing solutions firm. Uh, we used to talk about it as an advertising agency, but you know that space is growing so rapidly every day. And so we look for ways to provide solutions in the marketing space for our clients using data and creative and all kinds of different media outlets. A little bit of everything for everyone, but what we do helps our clients take the the goals that they have and remove the luck from achieving them, basically. So a little remove bit about the lucky. luck. Remove uh, the luck. How about that little plug? I love that. <laughs> Did you just coin that or is that something you guys say often? No, we actually talk about it a lot. How do we remove the luck out of everything that we do? Because I think if you t- you know spend time in the industry, that's part of it. Sometimes you're just winging it until you get used to what's going on. So I'm actually the chief people officer. I have been at Lucky for 17 years, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> Congratulations on your tenure. Not something you see a lot these days. We're definitely swinging to the other end of the pendulum. But I actually joined Lucky um, in that very first year. They had never had an HR person. Their CFO at the time was doing it. And her words, not mine, not well. She was just kind of hanging out and doing the best she could. And they weren't really sure what they wanted. So they had decided they would hire somebody part-time. So I came in and met with them a couple of times. And I started part-time. That lasted about weeks. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I was full-time, and away we went. I hired in as the HR manager. Then I turned into the HR director on the day I showed up, um, got promoted to the VP of HR. It just happened all really quickly to the VP of HR several years in um, as Lucky continued to grow and, and was named chief people officer about a year and a half ago. That's quite the path that you took in, <laughs> in very quickly at that. So you started in a role that did not exist, first and foremost. You mm-hmm. filled, you fulfilled a need for the organization. And obviously right. the need was greater than they could have ever imagined because you propelled down that path so quickly and you're still in that, in that seat. Share with us um, a bit about the journey you know, to where you're at today. A little bit about those 17 years and just the growth that occurred during that time. I think uh, probably one that's familiar to people in lots of different career paths. If you're passionate about what you do, you walk in the door and you do what somebody asks. But if you're really smart, you understand that you provide the service. I'm an internal organization, right? I need to provide service to my clients, which is my team, Lucky. And I was able to immediately see opportunities for growth and moving forward. Um, Lucky, again, around 70 years, it had a little bit of that Mad Men feel still left over, Mm -hmm. if you've ever seen that show. (laughs) 
was a little bit of shock to somebody like me who came out of very traditional, large, big box retailer roles. And so immediately I started to see some opportunity and I knew that in order for me to be effective there, I had to adjust as well. It wasn't just telling the organization what was going right or what was you know, needed for opportunity for improvement. It was a matter of me understanding what's their risk tolerance and knowing that they're a private agency what do they want to try to achieve and how do I fit into that plan? So I started, I think my biggest climb factor was that I was willing to understand the business. And if you went and talked to my CEO, John Gardner today, um, or the owner, Tom Lucky, the thing they'll tell you is they've never met somebody in HR who knows the business like I do. And I just think you can't be effective in a role like that with team members if you don't understand their jobs. Not saying I could do them, mm-hmm. not in a million years. We're talking about some crazy talented people. But I understand what's important to them, what are some obstacles they might face, and I'm able to adjust to that so that I can provide, like I said, great service. People don't always want to think about it that way. It doesn't sound very glamorous, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's service. I'm providing a, a brand internally for this company to get what it wants to achieve. Mm. And which is great things. Um you said 70 years, Lucky Celebrating, correct? 70, 70 years. years. Always owned by the Lucky family. Started by the great-grandfather, um, Ace Lucky. We have some teams named after uh, that. We functioned with an Ace team that led for a while. And then the two younger sons um, took over that business. There were four children in the family. The, um, the daughters did not want to be a part of it actively. They're a part of the foundational side. And then the older brother Robert Lucky, named after his father, and we always called him B3, uh-huh. and the younger son, uh-huh. which was Tom Lucky, who's still the chairman of the board today. That's so exciting. Through um, your sharing of the story, I recognize that you refer to the people within the organization as your team. Now, some leaders have teams, and some leaders have employees. Obviously, you recognize your your um, organization as a team. Explain to us the difference between the two, if any, in your mind. I might refer to them employees when I'm talking about externally and maybe I'm talking to a subject matter expert where we're talking about HR, but for the most point, that's not, it's not the way we operate. We're a team. We all have different roles. We need to work it together. And so we talk about that teamwork a lot. Um, In this business, you can't do anything alone. Mm -hmm. For marketing to happen, it's not a one-person show. And so we spend a lot of time talking about how we connect that way. And so I naturally refer to everybody as team. We talk about teamwork. We talk about different um, industries or verticals that use teamwork differently. And how does that look when we bring it into marketing? Right now we're talking about um, some of our, um, what we call non-negotiables. So when somebody Mm -hmm. wants to join, lucky we have these non-negotiables that you have to match up to to get in the door. But they're very HR speak. They're not very sexy. <laughs> Nobody remembers them, right? right? It has that kind of feel. You pick it up and you go, that's an HR document. Mm-hmm. I know what it's referring to. And so just in the past couple of months, we've been talking about different industries and different business lines that use it. And actually, the military is a great one to talk about teamwork. So we've been talking about extreme ownership. Mm. So instead of talking about teamwork, we talk about laws of combat leadership and how we cover and move as a team, how teamwork functions, how do you avoid risk or take on risk appropriately. And it's just a natural flow for me. Mm -hmm. Plus, I don't want to be a part of anything where people aren't a team and they're not just working together for the greater good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that does a lot coming from a team member perspective for the morale you know you're not just 
you know, you feel like you're bought in per se. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're, you're a part of the movement. You're a part of what's going on, the growth. Right. Um, well, I tip my hat to you for, for leading for so many years. Let's rewind a little bit and talk about what kind of led you there. So you mentioned and jokingly, and we'll get to that, um, something that we were talking about before the show about smiling. And you were one of the panelists on the Mitsubishi um, Electric Classic Women's Executive Day. And for those who might not have been there or didn't have an opportunity to hear your story, I'd like for you just to touch on your experience with, the uh, um, what were they called? What would you Big call box them? retailers. Big box retailers yeah. <laughs> that you were with prior to Lucky. Okay. So to be clear, I didn't start out when I went to college. I didn't go to college to be an HR I had no clue. I was a first-generation college um, attendee in my family. I played flute. So what else do you do when you go to college? You say, I'm going to be a performance major. It was really um, an error on my half, but I did know that I loved it enough to be there. And while I was there, I got injured. My now husband broke my finger, and I couldn't take some of my performance classes. And so that semester, I had to figure out what I was going to do differently. So I changed and started studying communications. Mm -hmm. Kept enough music classes to make them pay for it. Mm. You're smart like that. You get it in there. And I ended up with not just one. I went and got a second degree in communication. Loved it. What am I going to do with just a generalized communication degree? Still didn't have a clue. So I worked as a state program director for the Very Special Arts of Mississippi, Mm -hmm. which was a nonprofit that dealt with creative arts and those who were differently abled, both adults and um, students. For a whole year, I did that. And not because I had a communication degree, not because I played the flute, which I do really well, still, still love every day, but... um, I actually had worked in residence life when I was in college to help pay for everything, and I had done programming for that. So that's how I ended up in that role. I made a promise with my my team mart, my teammate, my partner, uh, my husband, and I decided that we would um, leave the South within a year of getting married. That was our goal. Where were we going? We didn't know. <laughs> we're just leaving. We just wanted to do something different. And so, with that plan, we ended up opening stores for Target stores in Pittsburgh. And I didn't work for them when we moved there. There was a dinner cruise with all the new hires, and I met the regional vice president, and he said, you should come to work for Target. You'd be fantastic at HR. And I said, I don't know a blessed thing about HR. Mm -hmm. And he said, we could teach you that part. Come and do this. And so they paid for me to get a degree, um, a certificate really, in HR. Mm -hmm. And so I started working for Target stores. What worked for me there? Same thing that worked for me with Lucky. I understood how the store functioned. I understood people's jobs and spent time celebrating those and understanding those and understanding that HR doesn't just protect the business. That's kind of an old paradigm. It has to be there to help people grow in their careers. Mm. So it worked for me. And then I got recruited to Dick's Sporting Goods, went in and worked on the corporate side there. I was in the field with Target, um, but corporate side with Dick's Sporting Goods and was there when they went public. And that's probably where I had my first big professional growth experience. It's where I got my first private coaching experiences, somebody pouring into me. And it was quite a learning time for myself. Uh, I was a young married adult. I um, had my first child while I was there. I was working in a sporting goods store where everybody was passionate about these sports. That might be hunting, might be fishing could be traditional kind of team sports like you think about, could just be fitness. There were hikers, people canoeing, Um, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the flute section? Right? So nobody said, 
go to the marching band section. And I had to figure out again, so how do I make myself a critical part of this team? How do I do this when I don't know anything? And so I learned a lot there. It was understanding the store's function that ultimately led to my growth because they came to me and said, we're going to look at separating out the store's recruiting. Are you interested in that side of it? Because I've been doing the corporate side. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I find it easy. I love the stores. And so I just took a step of faith in that direction, actually got promoted while I was out on leave after my first child. Wow. We had a couple of meetings while I was on leave. I had to bring a baby into the office. She puked on the table. <laughs> yeah, so it was a, it was a big impression. learning curve. <laughs> yeah. It was a big learning curve. Um, but that journey to Lucky was different. We decided to move back, to, back down south after that first kid and wanted to be close, but not too close. Landed in Birmingham, and they were looking for somebody part-time. In my head, when I moved south, I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I now had a plan, right? Sometimes it was the plan was happening to me. <laughs> sometimes my, you were driving I had a plan, the plan, right? I have a plan. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I was sure that was going to work. My faith played a big part in that. That lasted about six months. And what I realized is I wasn't the best person I could be doing that. I wasn't doing anything for my children at that point the way that it needed to be done. And so I set out looking for that opportunity. And that's how I landed at Lucky. And I got in there. I still have the interview notes because... Like I said, they didn't have anybody on staff. And so they would use that main office was located near Samford University. So they'd use Samford's um, head of HR, who was married to our head of production. Oh. If they had some really big issues they needed, they'd bring oh. him in. And so he did all the interviewing. And the notes were, she's entirely too big for what you want. But you'd love her if you talk to her. I still laugh at that. It's Your in my personnel file. Yeah. And so I did, and that's, that's how it happened. I think my career growth is not so much as a big, maniacal plan that I sat down really well and plotted out in five- and ten-year chunks. It was a little bit more um, haphazard with that and seizing the moment when it came along. You know, Good for you because not everybody seizes that moment, and people might miss out on opportunities that would have required that blind leap of faith. I, you know, but you don't grow if you do that. You have to do the things that make you nervous and scary and at that point outside of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're uncomfortable. You're outside of that comfort zone. And it feels like you're trying to walk on water a mm -hmm. little bit as you get settled. But that really is where you get to know yourself, yourself and yeah. what you really can depend on from yourself to impact the environment around you for sure. And grit. Um, I want to go back, if we may, to Dick's because you shared some things with me that I want <laughs> I want to speak about. Yeah, Funny go. and for real. <laughs> so there you there you experienced some challenges, and I hate putting it like this because we're way beyond that. We're way I believe we're we're over overcoming gender specific roles in organizations. Sure. Women having to fight against men. Thankfully, we've kind of peeled out of that shell. But you experienced something of that nature, I guess, because maybe it was a fellow oriented, you know, a retailer, the sports, and they kind of put you through the ringer and you really had to dig down deep and you had to grab onto some grit and some grace and persevere. And I'd love for you to share that experience because it's so powerful, especially you staying true to yourself and where you're right. at today. I assume you're talking about the fat conversation. And well, yes, and the brand <laughs> and then also the smiling. Okay. Well, let's start with being fluffy. So don't call it fat. I'm fluffy. I've always been a fluffy person. Um, at Dick's, they valued the brand, right? Externally, it's about sport and health and life. And that, it was fantastic at work for them. Internally, they tended to hire people who were very 
oriented towards and had a passion for very specific sports and things alike. Well, in HR, maybe that fell out, you know, fell off a little bit. But it was time for me to start interacting with the most senior level of the company. And as I got there, the um, the couched as advice that came from multiple levels above me was that maybe I needed to find a, a little bit more of a passion for health. <laughs> and I being the person I am just to ask questions, what are you trying to say? Are you calling me fat? And in this case, yes. Yeah, that was the, the whole gist of the conversation. We moved into a new headquarters and my boss and my boss's boss, two levels up, said, you know, you'd be fantastic if you went and worked out all the time. So literally, I would go to the office Check in in the morning, work out at the at the downstairs gym, take a shower at work, and then waddle myself. And I do mean waddle at that point because I can't walk. I'm fluffy for a reason. Um, I'd love to say that we're going to find the genetic reason later on in life that this is a great science exploration that's going to happen. But let's I don't make the best choices in fitness and food. And so I would waddle myself upstairs, sweating and doing my job to sweat pouring off of me because I'm a hot person anyway. And um, it was really interesting. It, it opened some doors for me. Everything that's negative can have a positive impact if you try to look for it, right? Mm -hmm. What can I learn from this situation? Sometimes you learn things that you don't ever want to repeat again. And sometimes you lose them. You know, you learn things that you say, okay, I get it. Here's a lesson for me that I can take with me. I interacted with a couple of people working out in the gym who I probably wouldn't have gotten connected to any other way, so I tried to use that to my advantage. Um, there was a particularly difficult store operations leader um, that would work out in the morning. I will not call him fluffy. Um, he just was himself, but he, he had a gruff edge to him, and the time I spent with him helped me build a little bit more of a relationship with him. But yeah, no doubt, I got told to work out. You know, I don't think that that would fly these days. I don't think so. I think so. if, they had, a, think if so. they had a worthwhile HR department at the time, then maybe <laughs> those things wouldn't have slid. You, know, <laughs> you cannot say things about anybody's appearance, race, religion, sex, orientation of any sort these days. Well, and I'm going to say the reason I didn't just totally lose my crap and go over board was because in fact I knew that the intention was they were just trying to help me find another way to do it it was wrong but mm -hmm. that was the intention and to be clear my manager was a marathon runner wow yeah so but running marathons didn't help her later in that same year they let her go oh and I think we talked about that at the mm -hmm. panel if I had a regret in my life it was a couple of times I've had moments where had I chosen to be more authentic and transparent, I could have helped somebody above me who was at risk of losing their job. And I did not do it. I was just pretty young and naive in my career at that point. Um, it's also, as you mentioned, the smiling thing. And this isn't the only place I got it. So let's be clear. I got it when I was at um, Dick's Sporting Goods, outside consultant, mm -hmm. um, as well as in the early days, once I started at Lucky and Company, and it wasn't Lucky that said it was an outside consultant. So I was doing that. They were willing to invest in me. I'm going to some private kind of coaching, one-on-one -on -one executive women coaching because mm -hmm. that was the big push, right? We want to see what we can do to grow women. And there are lots and lots of consultants out there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say there are probably lots of good ones and a few great ones. 
a lot of people get into that business because they know what it looks like to grow people internally in a company. Now, coaching someone one-on-one to be really effective, that is a different skill set, and it's really good. But in that initial, um, in that initial experience, everybody does a 360, right? And they go get some feedback for you. They bring it to you. They're going to interpret it sometimes without the context of the office or what have you. But the feedback kept coming back as lots of words like, very soft words like friendly, um, energetic, uh, kind, easy to approach. And all of a sudden that got translated into maybe you're not owning your power and your position enough. And I don't know that I necessarily disagree with it because there was some of it that I could change. The way my voice hooked up at the end of a conversation and how to choose my words in a way that helped me own the entire moment that I was speaking. I knew better than to use fillers, but I had fallen into some bad habits. So really great things that I got out of there. But I kid you not, got told twice in my career, really what I think you need to do, Melissa, is just get your face a little more serious. You smile awful, awfully easily at moments, and I think people don't take you seriously. And I heard that twice, years apart in my career. The first time I heard it, I adjusted a little bit. Then everybody kept asking me why I was in a bad mood. It didn't work because if you knew me, it wasn't natural. The second time I heard it, I really, I was much further along. I, I was dealing with other women in very senior level roles. And I just, after a coaching session with a peer, just somebody who I trusted and talked to, um, I said, you know, it's not authentic. It's not who I am. And that person finally said some words that made sense to me. You do what you do. Embrace it and be who you are. When you understand the the subject matter and you're that SME, that subject matter expert, right? You can be anything you want to be. And you happen to like to be kind and friendly and smiling. Mm -hmm. I'm also a patter and a toucher and a hugger. And appropriately, Mm -hmm. right? But she said to me, you've got to let that go. It's not going to work for you. Just be yourself. And that really, for me, was an impactful moment because that's one of the things when people talk to me now or they're asked to give feedback about me or even as recently as the panel, people coming up to me afterwards. One, they automatically wanted to hug me, Uh which is a good thing. I'm a hugger too, Mm -hmm. right? I'll hug anybody. But they kept saying, it was so nice to, to be here. You're, you're so authentic. Mm-hmm. You're so authentic, which I'm thinking, well, what if my smile's fake? But what they were seeing was me. Mm-hmm. I don't try to pick big words. That's just not how I've been effective. It's not who I am. And when I try to be something different than I am, then I spend my time focused on that instead of the subject matter at hand. Mm-hmm. And I typically falter. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. But don't think that I don't love a good movie or a show about that powerhouse woman who's uh-huh. always dressed the right way and nothing happens to him and they've got a nanny and everything's <laughs> happening and things are in separate bags and they're jet setting everywhere. I right. love those, right? I love that icon. I, it probably does exist for some people. It does not for me. Either. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. Thank you for sharing that. That speaks um, volumes, as I use a filler word, um, speaks volumes <laughs> to me personally. Uh, you and I have had a chance to get to know each other over the, the past couple of weeks, and I too have experienced some of those same things, mm-hmm. being gregarious or being energetic or hyper, as people would say, yeah. and smiley and bubbly. Yeah. If you don't know the person, people might think it's not authentic, but that is my authentic self. And when I worked for hotel groups decades ago, 
I was actually told that my face was too animated in the way that I speak. Mm-hmm. I make too many, you know, and I see myself on these blessed videos that this wonderful production team puts on YouTube. And I'm like, <laughs> holy smokes, I try to train my face. If I were to ever get Botox, it would be <laughs> for the world not to see all of these things that I'm doing. But just like you said, and my mom always said it, and there's very few people like yourself that I really have to just remember yeah. you know, the roots, it's okay to be you. Let your light shine. Mm-hmm. The good Lord gave you these talents, these gifts, these expressions. Not everybody can smile. Not right. everybody has teeth. Not everybody <laughs> has facial movements to do so. That's true. And you know what? That's your smile true. is delightful. Well, thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I have found, um, you know, HR is not the place everybody wants to go with problems too. Now, that's just probably taboo to say for our industry. People hate to hear that. Nobody really wants to go to HR. Let, let's be honest. They're right. not like, that's the solution house. That's the end of the line. Things got so bad, and I've got no other choice house. And so I've really tried to change that dynamic, particularly at Lucky, with them understanding my job is to make your job easier. Mm. It's to empower you to do a better job. And... It serves me well that people see me as me, that they they feel that authenticity because they will come to me and my question, I think we talked about mm-hmm. this on the panel, is do you want to be heard, do you want to be helped, or do you want to be hugged? And I do allow people, I always give them the little quick, you know, don't tell me something illegal because then I have to do something. Right. But if you want to tell me about an issue you're having and tell me I don't want you to do anything, it's okay. Yeah. And I'll listen to you. And let's break it down. Or if you want to come and you want to practice how you might say this to challenge your boss, that's great too. Mm-hmm. And so doing that, st- it starts with me being who I am and people experiencing that genuineness and then knowing they can trust when they come to me that the the words I share with them are going to follow that same path. Yeah. How many people say all three? Because you gave a choice, heard, helped, and hugged. I would like to be all three. <laughs> Like free to hear me, uh, help me, and I want to hug. I don't know if I've gotten all three. I get a lot of let. I don't know. Just let's start, and you tell me what it is <laughs> when they're really worked up. Do you have Usually a minor heard in psychology? I should just go to school because <laughs> yeah, a counselor like, of sorts, right? Right. People say to me all the time, "Is that couch for me?" There's a little love seat in my office. When we moved into our new office, I took it out, and everybody's like, "Where's the therapy couch? The what couch. are we going to do every day?" Light some sage, (laughs) listen to some music. (laughs) For those of you just joining us on Celebrating Powerhouse Women, we are speaking with Melissa Wheeler, who is the Chief People Officer of Lucky. And Melissa, we've had so much fun here during the first half. When we return from our break, we're going to talk a little bit about what feeds your soul and leaving a legacy. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced 
will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSource.com. All right, and welcome back. For those of you just joining us, I'm your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo. This is Celebrating Powerhouse Women. Joining me is Melissa Wheeler, the Chief People Officer of Lucky. Now, Melissa, we were having such a great time before the break, and as I sit here smiling ear to ear and looking <laughs> at your beautiful smile, too, um, I'd like to know what feeds your soul personally. I know that's a really broad question, so interpret it however you like and share with whatever comes to mind. Okay, what feeds my soul? It's a great question, by the way. Um, one that I had to ask myself uh, pretty recently within the past couple of years, um, I got sick. I have been diagnosed with um, a really weird liver disease, and it overlaps with an autoimmune hepatitis disease that doesn't have a cure. So I, um, in figuring out that this is what was going on, I go to Mayo Clinic frequently down in Jacksonville, Florida, and they they, the team that I work with down there, um, you know, they were pretty honest and upfront. You might live, but most people live seven to 10 years. And I'm thinking, holy crud, I have four children, four children. What, what does seven to 10 years look like? And I found this place that was peaceful and calm when I realized in seven to 10 years, I could have all of my kids out of college or close to out of college. So at least moved on to the next big milestone of life. My youngest one probably won't be there. They'll be shyer. But asking what feeds me was a really important question. And so there's there's the personal side of what's feeding me. And there's the work side, because for me, work was an important part of it. So I was off of work for a couple of months and figured out, guess what? It didn't get better since I tried it the first time. It doesn't work for me. I need that interaction. I need to see people achieving and discovering themselves, it feeds me to watch other people grow and find their purpose and their passion and to learn to love themselves. And that sounds so cheesy. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, we're definitely sharp cheddar there. But (laughs) the truth of the matter is, is it really does. It's always been a part of my life. It's a part of my private life dealing with, um, I did youth, um, directorship roles with the church early on. And so I love people. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to me not to make my world too small. But the other thing it answered very clearly for me is what feeds me in my personal life is my family. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's a lot of people what their why is. Um, I have a unique story. I'm an open book when it comes to stuff. So this usually fascinates people. My work team loves to ask me about it. Whenever we have some type of icebreaker or something and it's finished, they'll say, now let's talk about your dad. So let's talk about my let's dad. Talk about I want to talk about my dad, Amanda. <laughs> I, have, I have a father. I know that's surprising, right? But like, mo- like most people, um, I have a father who uh, was not the most stable of people growing up. So my parents' relationship, not great, not horrible, but not perfect. He disappeared a couple of times. My mother would decide to go back and find him and get back with him. There were a lot of kids involved. I'm the youngest of five. And so she made choices early on in her life that as an adult, I came to question a lot. That's a, that's a tough spot to be in. And I learned something really important, that people do the best they can with what they have at the time they have. And it was a, a learning curve for me in that space. When I got married, less than a year later, my father took everything out of the accounts. My two oldest siblings worked for this business that we had, which was a staffing business in Memphis. And he cleared out the accounts, 
took everything out of the business accounts, personal accounts, and walked away. He just disappeared one day. We tried some good stories like, I think the mob got him. It wasn't uh, true. It wasn't true. He disappeared. He intentionally cleared up everything and disappeared. I just walked out. Um, and so a lot of people's lives fell apart. First of all, if you're working at a staffing firm, typically you're in a situation where you're living paycheck to paycheck. There's nothing wrong with that, but that is the truth of the matter. And so immediately you're affecting a hundred people's lives because he just disappeared. And then my siblings lost their jobs. They were dependent upon that family business. They lost their jobs. And I actually was in the middle of house hunting in Pittsburgh when it happened. Mm. And I had this feeling. I called my mom and said, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. And I said, come on, something's up. And she had to tell me that he had walked out. She had no idea where he was. So we filed a missing persons report and everything you can think of. So fast forward, he walked out. What an incredible journey. Had to declare him dead. That's an interesting process if you've ever gone to court and done that. You got to get those people legally dead so you have some rights. Right. But it takes a long time to do that. We had to get him divorced. But he wasn't dead. Or was he? Well, we didn't know. At the point we had him declared dead, we we were able to attest to all the statements that make them legally dead. I always felt like I would know, like there would be this inner little Jiminy Cricket that would be like, he's gone, mm -hmm. you know, I, it didn't happen. But um, we got my mom divorced. We helped her do that. That was in the very early stages of my life. So let's go back to my why. So my family wasn't my family, my nuclear family growing up, maybe wasn't the, the picture perfect thing that you see on TV and you love to read, which doesn't always do people a great service because you think families look one way, right? It's a facade. We set people up for that, yeah. And so I decided when I grew up and I got married, I married a guy that I just thought was going to be a great person, a great dad. He was a great partner, very balanced. And I decided I'd make my own little family story that everything. So I went from I'm not going to have any kids to, hey, all right, let's do four. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I built this little bubble unit that that – makes me happy. I love being a mom to my kids. I'm a crappy mom at the baby age. I'm not good at it. Um, I do good in the baby blob where they don't move. Right. As they discover their hands, I'm still good. Mm -hmm. At the moment, they become a toddler and they just need you to non-stop. Yes, chase them. Yes. Just non-stop with them. That's not my sweet spot. Hey, guess what? Happens to be my husband's sweet spot. He's fantastic at it. He works really well in those years. And then they circle around to teens. And I love the teen years. You know how many people complain online about teen time? I'm like, Everybody. I can't believe I only got four to go. Uh -huh. And then they're going to be in that young adult stage. I love the teen years. I love the crazy conversations and everything. So, you know, you look at it and you say, what do you learn from that? Well, I learned that what's important to me is my family. And when I don't get it naturally, I can create it any way I want. And that's what I went out and did. And I learned that you just got to move on from things that hurt in life. You either can let them hold you back and not forgive where you can't get closure, or you can just decide there's an infinite span of time in the universe. But I get this finite moment in my life where I can figure out what I want and do what I want. And I was going to do it and do it peacefully and um, in a happy spot. And that's what I chose to do. Moved on with it, let it go. My mom, on the other hand, struggled with that. Mm -hmm. I, I can't completely relate to that because that's a different relationship right. than your parent, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
Um, she moved on. It affects how I deal with my husband. We learned early on that money situations make me cry. Yeah. I didn't know that. We went to a planner just to try and think about it. We never went back. My poor husband, we walked into a, <laughs> a planning business where they're trying to explain to you how to set up your life and how to plan for 20 years down the road. That wasn't my family's mm-hmm. um, gift, clearly. And they started talking and I started crying and I was horrified. Mm-hmm. I looked at my husband. I said, no idea what's wrong. And he goes, why don't, I think my wife's going to step out to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom. He appears in the hallway. He goes, let's just leave. And we <laughs> ran out. We never went back. It was horrible. Very mature. Very He's mature. an awesome husband because you read that cue and you guys <laughs> tuck tail together. Very good husband. But my why is that family? Love my kids, love my extended family, and just focusing in on those relationships and teaching them maybe through mistakes I've made and wins that I've made, that failure's okay. Mm-hmm. You can learn just as much there as you can when you get it right. I mean, gosh, it, being afraid of it doesn't help us at all. And I just love... anxiety. Yeah, I just love being a part of their lives. I just, I try to enjoy every minute I can. And if at the end of it all, I don't get sick enough to make it onto the liver transplant list, which is where I'm kind of at right now, then I die, but my kids are going to remember that they had a mom who loved them and was invested in them and passionate about their lives and passionate about serving other people. And I'll be okay with that. I just don't have any worry about it. My husband is like, I'm like, I, very rarely is it something that overcomes me. And I sit around and think about it. I'm like, make the most and let's move on. Hmm. And I have time to even worry. Wow. Yeah. I admire your frame of mind. And I thank you for sharing that personal yeah. story. It's truly... Um, it's truly evident how much you care for people. Obviously, yeah. you're a chief people officer. You're in, you're in the right role. <laughs> I don't know. Have you met other chief people officers? I, I've I mean, met a chief not... party officer. I'm chief. Nobody invited me to be the party <laughs> no. officer. I stink at party planning. <laughs> I want to ask you a personal question. And this is something that I struggle with. That's sure. why I'm asking you because you just said that it's something that you have to do. And that's forgive without closure. Oh. Now, I know that there's a whole um, spiritual aspect. And, of course, sure. you know, I... I pray first and foremost for the Lord to help me move beyond that that point. But I want to ask you from your own experience, because yeah. it's liberating to be free of, um, you know, that strife on your heart and mm-hmm. to forgive without closure. How mm-hmm. would you um, guide someone to doing that? I think you have to be really careful with learning from very... Um, I'm trying to pick my words carefully, but I don't need to. Let me not pick my words carefully. You can get a lot of information on how to forgive, how to find closure, how to have better relationships in three-point font on social media Mm -hmm. and a lot of places from people that are not um, people who are really subject matter experts in that area. Um, I think we do ourselves a lot of injustices because there's a lot of things out there that tell us you need the closure to move forward or whatever. But you mentioned you're a person of faith. I happen to be a person of faith, too. Um, For me, there was a moment about a year after my father disappeared. So don't think it happened overnight. For a year, I'm like, what in the beep? We'll just bleep it out for you, okay? (laughs) You don't have to beep that out. And for a year, that ate at me. I just, I, it affected my relationships. It affected my health. I chose not to go to church because somehow definitely God's fault, right? But what ended up happening for me is there was a moment, there was a, a, a grown woman who had grown children that I was dealing with in church. We were serving in a capacity together for other women. And 
she was this sweet little voice. I mean, she, she was a powerhouse mother. She had like eight children. And she said something that just stuck, and it stuck. And the reason it stuck, I think, is because that's what the Lord was trying to give me. She said, forgiveness isn't for those other people, Melissa. It's for yourself. Hmm. Don't you care enough about yourself to quit giving him space in your heart, in your mind, in your day? And all of a sudden, all the things started to click. That's why God says you have to forgive other people, because I don't have space to love him if I'm busy thinking about what Jerry Kohler did when he disappeared. Mm. And so for me, it was just that moment of just realizing that and praying and saying, I don't really actually know how to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I need to be taking certain steps. And what it just came out as is just time thinking about, is it worth it? It's not worth it. I just need to let it go. Doesn't mean I forgot it. I still talk about it. It doesn't bother me. And there's an ending to that story mm-hmm. that you probably like to know. But I, would. Um, I just um, had to let it go and be where I was and make what I was getting out of life the why, the purpose, the important, right? I can't have that. I'm not going to have a dad when I have my first kid. I'm not going to have a dad there for those things. So what? I can't change it. I can't control it, but I can control what I have here or now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to build those experiences the way I want them to the level I can control them because you can't really control mm-hmm. too much. So I moved on for that. 20 years to the date from his disappearance, my husband and I were laying in bed. My husband works for Regions Bank. He's mm-hmm. a... Um, Right now he works in audit, but his specialty is in banking security, money laundering, fraud cases, things like that. So he does a lot of research. And he says to me, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And he's shaking me in bed. And I sit upright, and I'm like, what, what? You know, what's happening? Are you dying? You having a heart attack? Like, what's going on? And he says, I think I found your dad. It's 7 o'clock at night. What in the world is he doing laying in bed thinking about that? And he sits up and he shows me a picture that's online on Facebook because who doesn't disappear and then take their picture and put it on Facebook? Facebook. Moron. (laughs) So he takes it. There's a picture. And he's he's doing something down in Texas, remodeling mobile homes, and there's a phone number. And I look at him and I say, seize the day. Give me the phone. And I just picked up the phone and called him. Mike's like, what are you going to say? I said, I don't know, but I'll know it's him if he doesn't try and disguise his voice. Oh, it was him. Alive and well, 20 years, living in Texas, didn't recognize my voice, and I was a little unprepared. So when he said, uh, hello, because he's got this great country accent, hello, I said, uh, uh, is Mike there? Because I didn't know what to say. Right. <laughs> it was a big moron. And then I just hung up. I took two weeks, packed up my things, figured out as much as I could where he was, and I went on a trip, took my mother with me, and I went on a trip. And so this is a forgiveness lesson because you want to know the end of the drama, mm-hmm. right? You totally want to know. But this really is about forgiveness because I was terrified. I didn't talk about it with anybody but my husband. I was terrified that what I had actually done years ago was not forgive him but just boxed up my emotions mm-hmm. and put them somewhere mm-hmm. and called it faith. Mm-hmm. I was, that was a panicky moment. Like what's going to happen if I see right. him live? Do I really, really know that I've forgiven him and moved on? Mm. Answer the question is yes. It was the most peaceful and beautiful experience I've ever had. Wow. Because I walked up when we found him. There's a whole story behind that, but we finally located him randomly in a yard. He didn't even live where we found him. God just told us to drive back that way. Wow. Went back and found him, and there was a moment where I was able to just say, and I felt it all the way down to my core, I thought you needed to know that I forgave you. 
This is my family that I have now, and this is what you missed. And what I am is sad for you because one day you're going to be accountable to this. And I want you to be able to feel the kind of peace I feel. And it was this moment where I was like, I had not conned myself into this. It really was there. Forgiveness works and you can do it. And it was an amazing moment. And I walked away from that. I've never heard from him since. His current wife and current family. Imagine what that story is. Wow. There's a whole nother world in there. Could not believe. They were like, are you, you don't want a relationship? No, I don't want anything. They probably didn't even I know needed, anything about you guys. N- no. Mm-hmm. And I needed to tell him, but I forgave him. And my mother was astounded. Hmm. She's like, that's all you want, Melissa? Are you going to call again? Are you going to say, I don't need it. It was for me. Mm-hmm. Those years ago, I forgave him for myself, and then all of a sudden there was a chance to see if that was real. That's a peaceful, peaceful place. Now, it could have probably gone to hell in a handbasket, too. I'm just going to say, because what if that was just my mental? But it's not. That's how my faith kind of solidified in that moment. I was like, it's real. For me, I know I have that testimony that God's real, and it is a gift we give ourselves. He wasn't taking up space anywhere in my life. And it was beautiful. And it makes for great stories at dinner parties. Golly. Because it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> I may I ask what your mother's reaction was. Uh, remember when I said she had a really hard time moving on? Mm-hmm. Um, my, mom, my mom lived in that space. She got pretty bitter. She lives in my basement. <laughs> Literally, I have an apartment in the basement. I don't like keep her in the basement locked up. <laughs> Chained to the bed. She, she lives in my She didn't move on from that. And from not moving on from that and finding a way to deal with it, she's become quite a, a bitter and mean person. Mm. She's not been able to experience a full life. She's not been able to enjoy relationships with people. They're very surface. And I can see it lived out every single day, which is sad, but... You can't make somebody do something that they don't feel passionate about for themselves, you know? But it really is a lesson about loving yourself enough to do that, for sure. I want to say, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> um, wow, Melissa. Yeah. It is amazing that you were able to come face to face. And that is such a beautiful circumference that you shared for that peace and that forgiveness mm-hmm. and just being able to solidify that for yourself. And I know that. Um, this gentleman truly is missing out on partaking in you guys' sure life. I got some pretty, pretty. If I was your kids. mom, no, I would have punched him in the face. Uh, she, or the she did really well. The deal of her going with me because she only wanted to see. She didn't want to talk to him or anything, but she didn't want to not go. And I said, I think she wanted to see where he landed and mm-hmm. just see if it got better for him. There was a piece of that to it, which the answer to that question was no, no. Mm-hmm. no. But um, he did clearly have a life. Um, she did not. I, I was amazed because I figured that's what yeah. had happened. Like she'd just throat punch him, yes. maybe <laughs> dive on him. Yeah. I thought it was possible I might witness a murder, you yeah. know, <laughs> I was going to be involved with the police a little bit more, but mm-hmm. it didn't happen. I think because she hadn't dealt with it in the beginning, then it was just this swath afterwards of her kind of going through those feelings again. Mm-hmm. Um, Which do they really kind of um, poison, you know, your insides. If you don't, thank you for sharing that. I've learned so much there are, I don't want to say that I have, you know, impending (laughs) forgiveness that I need (laughs) to just give, but it does kind of help me see it in a different light. Um, I heard something on, I don't know, you mentioned being a faithful person. I listened to Andy Stanley, your move, which is one of my favorite Mm -hmm. podcasts. And the one from this Sunday, he mentioned sowing your seeds. Mm. Otherwise they will spoil. 
Mm-hmm. Now that can be interpreted in many different ways. People have treasures, talents, and things like that. And if they don't share them or, you know, mm-hmm. use them, if they just hoard them for whatever reason, then essentially how I interpret it is that they will spoil. You'll experience mm-hmm. spoilage. Can you share an instance where you have seen that or where you um, kind of how you interpret that sowing your seeds? Otherwise, they'll they'll spoil. Mm, That's a good question. You know, my head always goes to very specific, like to talent. Um, um, It it, it, I can't get away from talent. That's all I can think about. I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking about flute playing and stuff. I there was a time at which I just wasn't using that all the time. I used to be. I have so many stories I could tell you. <laughs> My key word is resilience. Look, mm-hmm. just make the change and be resilient, right? So uh, there was a time where I wasn't sharing those talents. I used to be top of the punch, really, really great at what I did. I got a full ride to school playing um, flute, but went into a bigger fishbowl and was still, I, I walked in at first chair, I was still doing great, but I let that talent spoil a little bit in college when I decided to go on a different direction. But the moment I felt better about myself was when I started to use that talent again and to bring it up. So I don't charge to play in churches. So all the local churches, I send out my contact information. You get the same people do it when you're in a small community. So you just find that they move from church, 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 church plan. But a lot of people charge money for that. And I just feel like that's a gift God gave me. Mm. And so I should give it back. And so I play in church a lot. I play with a community orchestra. I played with the beginning orchestra at one point that was so funny. It was these adults who had decided to learn stringed instruments. And I met the conductor and she said, what I really want are some woodwinds. Would you come and play? And they would sit there and apologize, like play a little bit and apologize. I'm sorry. It's so bad, Melissa. You probably are used to it. And I'm like, no, I'm having the best time. I don't care. Let's do it. I heard a recording of us. It was something maybe only a mother could love. Oh. But how happy we're all of we yes. all together just using our talents. But I do think if you don't use them, they spoil. But I think people think about talents very hardcore, just like I did, right? You go right to it. There are talents for reaching out to people, to seeing people's needs. Somebody who maybe can listen to people. This might be a gift that you have. Listen to people and hear what they don't say. People that are really in tuned with they're faithful they would call it the spirit Mm -hmm. if they're people that are just believe in a higher power believe in self they might call it just their basic intuition to recognize and hear that inner voice and say gosh this person's in need right now right now I need to go to that there's so many gifts and talents that I think people have and they don't recognize that way I mean this world is amazing even with all the awful things going on there are so many amazing people that you can meet that just you realize talents are crazy, um, spread and different and get like, you were talking about somebody who's a party plant. I can't do that. (laughs) I had to decorate a table Tuesday night for my senior. They were having a guard banquet. She does Mm -hmm. color guard. So the flags with the marching, I have two girls that do that. And, um, they signed me up. I was voluntold Mm -hmm. to do the senior table. So a whole table decorated kind of to a girl now that was a nightmare. Let's not lie. I put that thing together with packing tape. So you didn't walk behind the table. I put it up against Only the, the wall so nobody could see the big mess back there. But, you know, there are people that that's their talent. Mm-hmm. And that gift that they give to people when they do, it's amazing. I just think that life moves so fast right now that the best thing we can do is just make space for ourselves and be gracious to ourselves and just breathe a little bit so we can recognize it in ourselves and others. Um, There's a lot of good that comes with technology and a lot of good that comes with advancement, but 
we leave behind some of those key Human things that make it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're meant to eat together. We're meant to gather. And we're not meant to always sit behind something, techno, you know, some type of technology mm-hmm. and connect that way. Right. Not that it's bad. It's got great attributes too, but I think that's part of what's missing in this country in this yeah, world right now is that ability to connect you know human, and just be, human to human yeah commune with one another <laughs> melissa as we're rounding the end of the segment thank you so much for sharing all of your stories and your passion i want to ask what it means to you personally to leave a legacy now that can mean to your family which was i had no idea about your your health woes until you just shared them yeah. so this is even more impactful but also within your organization cuz you're there for 17 years that's very mm-hmm. impactful so when you melissa think about leaving your legacy personally professionally spiritually or just footprint on this world what does that mean to you leaving a legacy leaving a legacy so i think personally that's a little bit easier um, when i think about defining that it's when people think about me what did they experience in the way I treated them? That's the legacy. It's not I built. I mean, hey, if I was a millionaire, I would donate and build all kinds of buildings at colleges and universities. There's all kinds of things. If I win the lottery tomorrow, just to be clear, so I'm on the record, my plan is to build a housing unit for kids that are aging out of the foster care system before they go on to their life because that launching time is so critical. Yes. And I just feel so passionate about that. But I haven't won the lottery yet. And... I probably would have been a millionaire, but I think maybe Jerry stole it all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm never going to be super rich. So there's that. Um, but how I treat people, I, we make it such a big thing, but it really is in those quiet, tiny moments that you leave a legacy with people, and that matters in my family. I want, at the end of the day, not my kids to say, my mom was great at this. My mom was an excellent people person. They're always shocked when they meet people from work and people say nice things about me. Not because they don't think I'm a nice person. It's just like it occurs to them that there's a whole other world that exists that I live in that they're not a part of. Yeah. Right. So it's easy in that state. When I think about it at Lucky, probably the same thing. I want every person that ever touches that place to walk away with something good to say about it. And in that business, change is constant. So people are hired and they're laid off with accounts. Accounts mm-hmm. move. The average tenure of an account is like three years. The average tenure of a CMO on the other side, which are the people that make those decisions, like 2.5 or something. I don't know. Very short. And so there's a lot of movement in agency life. And my goal at the end of the day is even if somebody is losing their job, that they were treated with dignity and respect. So my legacy is just how I treated them. And in all these years, we've moved a lot of people in and out. It's just the transient nature of the business. But there is probably only two that have been in that position and don't speak to me today. The rest of them feel like I was a part of how they moved on in their life and finding new jobs and were treated well. And that's, that's important to me. Lucky gets the benefit of it. I would do it anyway. But I just think we're, we move so fast in this life. How we spend time with people when we're at work is important. Spend it is. a lot of time with those people. Uh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. That's how you end up with all those weird phrases like your work partner <laughs> work, work or wife. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I've been, I've been a work wife to several fellas. How do real wives feel when they hear that? My husband better not have a work wife. Okay. <laughs> Let's just say that. (laughs) Melissa, okay, now you know what I'm about to pass to you, although I kind of did just do it to you with the the legacy. I do just want to give you a chance to leave some parting words or a final thought with our audience. You have so many fun nuggets and so many great mantras. Oh, gosh. 
what's my parting nugget? Well, I do. I, I think we talked about this before. How about do what you since do. we're talking about women? Once let's go with one of my big learnings over my life, which is you can have it all. I absolutely believe women can have it all. I just think we need to realize we may not be able to have it all, all at once. Live in the seasons of the life you're in, mm. and then move on to the next one, and cumulatively, you can have it all. That's so powerful. Seasons in life and taking yeah. taking advantage of the ride. Melissa, thank you for sharing um, your yeah. story with us today. I've enjoyed getting to know you even further. For those of you listening out there and you enjoy this series or you find value, we'd love for you to subscribe and stay connected with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we are live every Friday at 1130 um, on com. You can select the Gwinnett Studio, but simply download us wherever you listen to your pods. I listen on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Where do you listen, Melissa? iTunes. I iTunes. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our guest today, Melissa Wheeler with Lucky. I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo. For our producers, Dan and Mike, this has been Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.